Great to be with everyone here today. If you were not here last week, we made a major, major, huge announcement as to some just Kingdom of God initiatives that we believe the Holy Spirit is calling us to that we have simply entitled Advance. Uh, that describes the next 24 months of ministry and the very series that we're in right now. We started last week. This is week number two. If you're here and you were not able to be here last week, if you missed last week, in a few minutes as I'm going through the sermon, I'll do a little bit of a, a more brief recap, but just really exciting stuff that we're just uh, communicating to the whole church. Okay, uh, guidebooks. Anyone who wasn't here last week, we'd love to get a guidebook into your hands. So if you just put your hand up, and ushers are going to come forward, and you're gonna, we're going to use these for the next four weeks for the remainder of the series. So hold your hands up good and high if you'd like one. We'd love to get one into your hands, and we're going to dish these out really quickly. So contained in the guidebook are everything that I'm going to explain to you in a few minutes in terms of like these are the specifics of all the initiatives that God's calling us to. It details it all here. So if you find today like, wow, that was a lot of information, you can go home and you can read all about it and have it on your kitchen table and pray through these pieces. As you get it, please open up to page number 23. You're, you've room for notes for the sermon today. And then community groups, as you're meeting throughout the week, all your questions and all your material and content is in here for you guys as well. So grab a hold of those. Keep them with you. Bring them back to church next week. Stick them in your Bible. Keep praying them over. There's one coming down here. I see a few more hands. Thank you guys for helping out, getting those distributed. Much appreciated. So this week, after having shared our big, big announcement last week, I just had a ton of conversations and texts and phone calls and emails and from just a ton of people in the church here, and every single one of them were like, praise God, this is amazing, how exciting, look what God is doing, we can't wait to be on board. As I was saying goodbye to people, I was shaking hands, and literally people were coming up and like shaking me by the hand, we're all in, this is amazing, look at what God's going to do. So I mean, it was just across the board affirmation. So I actually invited a couple who are a part of our church here to come up and maybe just share how God has touched their heart and their spirit and how this resonates with them. Give a welcome please to Wes and Molly. Thanks, Alan. Uh, again, my name is Wes. This is my wife, Molly. Uh, for the last 20 years, I've been blessed to call Community Church my home. And 14 years ago, uh, I was really blessed when she said yes. And uh, we've called this place our home for the last 14 years. Yep. And although he didn't, uh, he was here a few years before we were married, he didn't automatically assume that this is where I'd want to be. So we took a few months to look around, but ultimately found ourselves back here. I was craving um, just good solid teaching, and I knew that we would find it here. Um, then we had three babies, and we all know how great the children's ministry is here. And we've just been blessed by kid life and now student life. Our third is, is in his final year of kid life. So it's really just been you know, a second home for our kids where they've been challenged in their faith reinforcing what we're doing at home, and we're just so thankful. And so the last 14 years, we've been blessed to see just the momentum and the, the blessing God's had on, the, on this congregation. Uh, when Alan came and we paired him with Wally, some thought that might be a little dangerous. Um, we knew it was going to be dynamic, and it has been. And so along with their leadership, the leadership of the church and the staff, uh, a vision was cast uh, to, to be led in this focused life with Jesus Christ, to be together on purpose. And that resonated with us, and we see that played out over and over again in the church here. Yeah, we've been involved in a few different areas, and uh, because of that, we've just seen the intentionality behind every aspect, every detail that goes into not just the service, but behind the scenes. And um, 
we, I forgot what I was going to say. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, with uh, me and the worship team and Wes serving as an elder and uh, our small group that we've led for several years and just watched our kids grow up together. Um, we just, we're just so thankful uh, for that. Um, our church's mission uh, really has become personal for us to gather together, to grow in groups, um, to go live it out. Um, it's become kind of a personal call for us within this church body. And so today, as we've been launched into this series called Advance, and think about the next two years and what that looks like, um, you know, for us, we're learning that Advance is far more than just a capital campaign or a, a fancy word you title a sermon series, or even more than just an evangelistic tool. Advance reinforces the vision and mission that God's placed upon this church, that we have to gather together. We're called to as Christ followers. Uh, we've got to grow in our knowledge of Jesus so that we can go tell the good news of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, Glenn, I'm sorry. I was so good last service. <laughs> um, I'm sure I wasn't the only one last week that um, wrote down a couple things that Pastor Allen spoke. Um, the one thing that stuck out to me the most was, um, uh, hold on, just wait. Just you wait. <laughs> the gospel cannot sit still. You remember that. Um, and when he said that, it just resonated with me. I was sitting there and I was, no, it, it can't sit still. I don't want to be sitting in this comfortable chair not doing anything about what I know about the gospel. Um, so it became just a mandate for, for me and us to go live it out. And with it coming to Alma, it made it that, that more personal for us. Um, we, we're from there. We live there. Uh, the late Billy Graham, uh, early on in his ministry, along with some others, coined this term, anchored to the rock, geared to the times. And we really believe that's what advance is, is. It is anchored to the rock and geared to the times, to reach more people. Paul writes in Corinthians that you know, he, he became all things, all people, by all possible means, so that he might save some for the sake of the gospel. Friends, this is personal for us. We can't sit still. We won't. And so this is our commitment to commit, to say we'll do whatever it takes to be a part of Advance. Thank you. The gospel cannot sit still. Amen? Amen. It's always moving forward and advancing into the hearts of men and women and children. And we are thrilled and delighted to be a part of that. Thanks for sharing your story with us, guys. Okay, a uh, big joke in my family growing up as a kid was always this phrase, Alan, where, where are you keeping your communion money? And what they mean by that is I grew up going to Mass as a kid. I grew up in Ireland going to, going in the Catholic Church. And when you're about six or seven years of age, you make your first Holy Communion. It's a big deal. You get all dolled up. I got a little picture here. We got a picture here. Oh, for goodness sake, look at that. That's my big brother, the taller fella on the right. Look at me. Look at that. Those are some short shorts right there. <laughs> but a fine pair of legs. And that's actually how I always wear my socks. They're like that right now. Yeah. The cuteness kicked in, and it only got better from there. So I'm probably about, I don't know if that's my brother's communion or mine. It might be his, because he's got a Eucharist on his tie. I'm not sure. So I'm probably five, six, or seven years of age there. But here's what happens in Ireland on your communion. It's a big deal. So you make your communion, and then afterwards you go and you visit every relative under the sun. Like people you didn't know existed. You're like bumping into great 
uncles and third cousins and stuff like that. And I have this distinct memory as a little kid going into this fella's house, big tall steps, and I'm like, I don't know who you are. And there's the cup of tea and there's the meeting and you look great and congratulations. And after a while, you head off and here's the moment. You're leaving and your great uncle gives you the handshake. And guess what's in his hand? We're talking 1979, 1980, a crisp five pound note. You've never seen money like this before in your life. And then the best thing is you go to the next relative and the next relative and grandparents and uncles and cousins. And at the end of the day, you might have a hundred pounds. And in 1979, you could buy a house for a hundred pounds probably. <laughs> it's a, it was more money than I'd ever seen in my life. So when my family continually jab me and they're saying, Alan, where's your communion money? Here's what they're actually saying about me. And it is true. I'm a tightwad. You are a miser, Alan. You wouldn't put a piece of cheese in a cheese sandwich. You wouldn't. And uh, I, I just, I don't like spending money. I don't need to buy stuff. Uh, if I'm going to spend money, I better get one heck of a deal. It's got to be amazing. My wife is guilty of going into my drawers and taking out clothes and throwing them away. I'm like, there was nothing wrong with that. That t-shirt, it understood me. <laughs> there were holes in it. I'm like, that's just character. And she throws them away. She's like, you're not wearing that in public. So uh, I'm very grateful for her. But that's the dynamic. And that's true of me. I know that I am that way a little bit. Um, Jesus knew this about me. And he knows about this tendency that we come into this world literally holding on to stuff. Holding on to it's mine. Uh, that belongs to me that, and, and our grip on, on stuff. He knows this about us. And so the number one thing that Jesus spoke about on his earthly ministry was the kingdom of God. The number two thing, was it, was it hope? Was it love? Was it end times? Was it, was it uh, something negative? Was it sin? It was none of those things. The number two thing he talks about is finances. More than heaven and hell combined, he talks about money. Uh, 11 of the 39 parables are about finances. Why does he do this? He knows that it's an issue in our lives. Look at two statements that he made in two different particular spots. Matthew 6, he says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's a tiny little statement, but it is packed with genius. God knows where your treasure is, where your stuff is. That's my car, my house, my money, all that stuff. He's like, I know your heart is going to follow after those things. You're going to chase that stuff because that's where your treasure is. Don't judge my spirituality based on this sermon or any sermon that I preach. Don't judge my spirituality based on how you see me in this environment, right? How easy is it to show up here for an hour and smile and look well? And then people think, oh, yeah, he's a really spiritual guy. Don't do it. If you want to know of the condition of my heart, you would really need to look at my bank account and my checkbook and my credit card bill. That's how you need to know. Those are the things that I am pursuing in my life. And Jesus knows this about all of us. But look at your Bible, Alan. Look at how worn it is. There are lines and pages stick out. And if you flick around here, there are little bits that are underlined. There are different colors. There's green. Look, there's yellow. There's yellow and orange. And there's red and green. Wow. You must really know the Bible. And God says, yeah, those are just colored pencils. If you really want to know the condition of Alan's heart, take a look at his checkbook. And he knows that this is not just true of me, but it's true of every one of us. God just gets it. He knows 
that our heart wants stuff all the time. We're chasing after stuff. And God's like, I refuse to enter into a race or a competition with stuff. I don't do that. I'm God. I'm not going to be in competition for your heart. God says, I want your heart, but your heart is following after stuff all the time. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to surrender stuff to me. I don't need your stuff. What am I going to do with your stuff? I don't need your money. I don't want your money. I don't need any of those things. I want your heart. It is a fact that your heart will follow after stuff. So God says, I want you to surrender stuff for me. It's almost funny in Psalm 50. It literally says, and it's Old Testament language. It's like, I don't want your bulls. I don't want your sheep. I don't want your oxen. And then he says, God, it's kind of a funny little statement for God to make. He's like, even if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. That's what he says. What, are you going to feed the Almighty? Do you think you can do that? I wouldn't even say it to you. I don't need anything that you have. Look at this second statement that he makes. This is so true. This second statement reveals a tension that every person in this room has felt. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. What two masters are you talking about, Jesus? You cannot serve both God and money. Now, at first glance, you might look at that scripture like, look, I know you've got a lot of good stuff going on, Jesus, but I think you've got this one wrong. God and money, surely it's God and the devil, right? I mean, that's what the battle, the conflict of my daily life, surely it's between God and the devil. No, the conflict that you face and struggle with every day is between God and your stuff. It's a presupposition in the scripture that you will follow after something. You will have a master and so will I. Are you going to serve your stuff, the accumulation of wealth and having things and owning things and protecting your stuff and storing your stuff and insuring your stuff, making sure that your kids will have stuff? Or will you give and surrender those things to God? And that tension will never, ever, ever, ever go away. You'll always battle with it. In fact, some of you in this room today, because of your journey with Christ, you've already come to an awareness of this, where the Holy Spirit has shown you, man, I've just been chasing after money and stuff and accumulating things. And then you've dealt with that. You've surrendered that to God and you've prayed about it and you've been able to let go. But that was a while ago and the Holy Spirit's going to say to you today, guess what? It has slipped back into your life once more. It's a tension that never, ever goes away. Jesus says you cannot have it both ways. He invites us into a relationship of love where our stuff is subservient to our devotion to God. Every single day, we make the decision. Will I follow after stuff? I want. I want savings. I want my communion money. I want to retire. I want to have. I want to own. I want this car. I want this house. I want these things. I want whatever's new and shiny and dangled in front of me as this world will do every day of your life. Will I chase after that? Or will you say, actually, what I really want is I actually want God. And and Jesus says it's one or the other. Would you come to me every day and bring to me that discontent? Bring to me all of that, what if I don't have enough of? All of that I want more of. All of that I'm afraid if I don't have. And lay it at my feet every day of your life. God, I'm going to surrender that to you. Because I don't want to spend the rest of my life, check this out, I don't want to spend the rest of my life not only just serving stuff, but I'm serving stuff while saying, 
oh, and dear Jesus, please help me get more stuff. And we do that. Dear God, I want, I want, I want. Dear God, here's my shopping list. I'm chasing after these things. Can you please help me get these things? Jesus is like, I'm not playing that game. One more thing about Jesus. You won't find this anywhere in the four Gospels. He doesn't ask anybody for money. Find the chapter and verse. It's not there. He just doesn't do it. You can trust Jesus when it comes to stuff, money. Jesus doesn't want to get your money. He wants to make sure that money doesn't get you. Jesus doesn't want to get your stuff. He wants to make sure that your stuff doesn't get you. Last week we bumped into, I think for me, the hero of the moment. I love this guy. His name is Nehemiah. And we find that he was brokenhearted because he's living all the way off in Babylon, a Jewish man, being taken into captivity, and he had heard news that things in Jerusalem were awful, that the city was in pieces, that the walls had been broken down, that the gates had literally been burnt to pieces, that the people were living in a state of spiritual and moral degradation. And he actually is so affected by this that he sits down and he weeps and fasts for days. Well, last week we bumped into two very important truths. And here they are. Number one was, I'm not okay with what's not okay. And that was Nehemiah. He saw that the state of his home country was shameful, and Nehemiah was unable to coexist with that. Even though he lived thousands of miles away, he's like, I gotta say something, I gotta do something, I gotta get off the couch, and I gotta get into the game. I'm not okay with coexisting the way things are. That's a shame, and it's a sham. And I'm gonna do something about it. The second huge truth was this is how he coined the phrase, but dad, you said. And this was this reminder that we can come back to God at any time and, and remind God of what he said over our lives. And specifically what it was for Nehemiah was, hey, dad, you said to me that if I obeyed you, you would bless my life. You said you would do that. You said, if I obey, you'll bless. Well, guess what I'm doing right now, God? I'm obeying you. I'm absolutely, I'm going to pray and seek your face. And I'm not the only one. There are others too, because I want the blessing, because I want to go back and do something about what's not right. And I can't do it without you. I need your blessing. I have to have your blessing. I want your blessing. There must be a blessing or this ain't going to happen. If I could say one thing to you today to add on to these two macro truths, it would be simply this. It's the king's money. And Nehemiah bumps into this hugely in chapter two. All the stuff that we're talking about, all of it, it belongs to God. It's all his. Now, for some of you here today, you know this, but you don't know this. I know this. Does everything belong to God? I know this, but I don't know this. What I mean by that is, like, if I were to throw out the question, you know, who made the earth and, and the oceans and, and the seas and the waterfalls and the mountains and, and all the animals and the fish, there would be probably this collective response that we would say, no, we recognize that God is the creator of all things, that they belong to him. Let me focus the question down a little bit. Who owns the money in your pocket right now? Oh, a little hesitation. Who owns your car? Who owns the clothes on your back? Who owns your house? Well, that's my stuff. That's my retirement, right? That's my savings account. That's my credit card. Let me put it in a way that I hope gets your attention. Would you do this with me? We're just going to take a big, deep breath. Kind of in through the nose, out through the mouth together. Ready? Here we go. In through the nose. And out. 
Who gave you that? Can you conjure up the next one? Can you make that happen for yourself? It all belongs to him. Your very next breath is a gift from your father. It's the king's. It's his stuff. It's his money. It's his house. It's his air. It's his 401k. It's his food. It's his boat. It's his, it's his credit card. It's his iPhone. It's his everything. And Nehemiah, you watch him in chapter 2, he just gets this. He understands this. He knows that it all belongs to the king of kings. Last week we learned at the very last verse of chapter 1, he kind of throws this thing. He says, by the way, you want to know what my job was? I was actually cupbearer to the king of Persia. Amazing job. Look at what happens here in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Art. That's what we're going to call him right there. <laughs> when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. The king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? There is nothing but sad, this is nothing but sadness of heart. Well, then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face uh, not be sad? When the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. And then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I like that. <laughs> A very, very powerful man. What do you want? Dear Jesus, please help me not mess up this moment. <laughs> That's what happened right there. Like two second prayer. So I prayed uh, to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. The king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? I like that he asks him that question. He wants him to be by his side. So it pleased the king to send me, and when I'd given a time, and I said to the king, it, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governor of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah, and, let, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. I got to tell you guys, that moment right there, that is gutsy, gutsy leadership. That's a dangerous moment. Pouring wine into the cup of the king of Persia with a not so happy look on your face is not good advice. He doesn't tolerate that kind of stuff. I don't want your drama. I don't want your mood swings. But the truth is, is, it's an honest assessment of where he's at. He's brokenhearted. He really was. Chapter 1. He sat down and wept and fasted for days. He's not faking it. In fact, had he smiled and put on some kind of happy, happy thing, that would have been faking it. It's an honest assessment of where he's at. And he's terribly afraid in this moment. He opens up his mouth and he lets the king know about the shameful state of Jerusalem that's breaking his heart and it's not right and something needs to be done and that is a faith moment. That is a I'm all in moment. That is I'm going to say something and I could get in huge trouble but this is what God wants me to do in this moment type of moment. One of the most powerful men on earth to bring your little complaint or request to him is, is it's unheard of. And I would say to you those are the exact moments that God calls every one of us to in this place. Have you had moments where God's called you and nudged you to say something or do something or go where somewhere and you're like, God, I don't want to do that. I cannot tell you how many times God has nudged me into a conversation. I'm like, I don't even want to talk to them. God, sometimes he's told me very specific things to say to people. I'm like, that sounds wacky. That sounds crazy. 
Sometimes even can sort of confront things in people's lives. And this thing's come out of my mouth and it's like, look at what God does. That was God. That was not me. Another story for another time, but I'll give you the Cliff Notes version because it was a huge impact on my life. True story and really is what called me into ministry. One day I was in a place and God said, Alan, go over to that piano and sing a song. And I was like, no way am I doing that in this room full of these people. It's not my job. That's not my role. That's not what anybody should be doing. That's weird and inappropriate. My heart was beating out of my chest. Alan, go over to the piano and sing a song. No, I'm not doing that. That's ridiculous. That's going to look insane. I went over to the piano and I sang a song. And I'll tell you the longer story at another sermon another time. That was a moment that God called me into ministry right there. Changed the trajectory of my life. I'm really glad that I listened to him for once. Now, did you notice that in this gutsy, crazy moment, Nehemiah is not making stuff up. The king of Persia is like, what do you want? He cracks open the door, and Nehemiah basically is like, he puts his foot in the door. He's like, well, now that you ask, and he takes this big, deep breath, and he's about to just pour out everything that will be required for the glory of God, everything that will be needed for God to just open up the heavens and pour down resources into Nehemiah's leadership and ministry so that God's going to get all the glory and the shameful state of Jerusalem will be absolutely changed. So he draws a deep breath, and this is what he says. Notice how prepared he was. Send me to Judah. I need time off. I need letters for safe passage through this particular area. I need a letter for this forest where I'm going to get lumber, and I need lumber for the doors, gates, and my own house. Got it? Right there. Nehemiah, he knows that it's all God's stuff. It's God's forest. It's God's time off work. It's God's safe passage through this area. It's God's leadership. It's God's lumber. Everything that I need, it belongs to not the king of Persia, to the king of kings. And yes, it was the king of Persia who gave these things to Nehemiah. But look carefully behind the hand of the king of Persia. We already read it. Let's read it again. And the king granted me what I asked for. Why? For the good hand of my God was upon me. Who's doing this? I'll be the king of kings. Let me give you a brief kind of Cliff Notes reminder of the vision and announcement that we made last week that represents the next 24 months of ministry that we have entitled Advance. Three legs to the stool. Number one, advance the launch of our Alma multi-site. Yesterday, all of the resources that were needed to set up church arrived, and we had a whole gang of people. I was talking to Pastor Aaron, and he was like, it was emotional. There's a whole gang of men and women who were serving, setting up all the children's area and the stuff for the babies and the main room and the chairs and the, the pipe and drape and the screen and the audio. All the pieces were set up and then we were all torn back down. He said people were doing it and some people were just crying. It was emotional. We're going to launch our first multi-site in Alma. All the staffing and equipment and resources and ministry funds, the facility rental, the purchase of some land, all of this to launch the first multi-site in Alma. This is at... Um, this will cost $2.9 million. The second leg of the stool is advance the expansion of ministry in Mount Pleasant. We're going to launch a 12-centered, Christ-centered addiction recovery ministry here in this local church. Somebody say amen. amen. Additional staff and ministry funding for that. 
some refurbishment of the older side of the building that needs a little bit of TLC. And then please don't forget this. What's wrapped up in these finances here is also two years worth of ongoing ministry that you're probably already very familiar here. So this church, thank the Lord, there's a lot of momentum and growth and excitement and people coming to Christ. So the ongoing work of the ministry for the babies right now and for Kid Life and for Bridge 56, all of Bridge 56 are all at camp right now, and for middle school and high school and our college outreach into CMU and mid-Michigan and all the community groups and worship on a Sunday and the preaching of God's words and all the care that takes place in prime timers and all of these ministries are funded in this bubble right here for the next 24 months. That's $3.3 million. The last leg of the stool is advancing the 418 initiative. That's a little nickname that we have given our efforts to describe the fact that we don't ever want to become insular as a church. Oh, we're cozy in here and we've got a nice little building. There must be an external expression of the gospel. The reason why we call it the 418 initiative is because of Luke 418. Jesus begins his ministry. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. He's, preached, he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, recovery of sight for the blind and for the oppressed, release for the prisoners. And then he just goes out and he does it. All of it was external. All of it was into the community. And so what this piece looks like is increased benevolence and care for families in crisis, increased global partnerships and local partnerships. We already give a lot of support to partnerships here in Isabella County. We're going to be finding some additional partners who are doing a great job in Gratiot County and helping them out as well. We're going to wipe out $3 million worth of medical debt that has gone into collections for all of, all of Isabella County and all of Gratiot County and every county that surrounds those counties. It basically describes all of central Michigan and it's going to be gone in the name of Jesus Christ. We're going to start a scholarship fund for the community groups that are around here. Woo! Yeah, you can give them praise. Scholarship funds for the community groups is simply this. We have community groups that are dotted all over towns, all around central Michigan. And as the Holy Spirit leads your community group to make a tangible difference at your kid's school or at your university or where you live in your neighborhood or where you work, you can come to the church and we want to begin to actually pragmatically finance some things where you can invest into those kinds of projects. Grand total, $7 million for the next 24 months of ministry. We're, we're putting it into what we've simply entitled One Fund. That is to say... Every penny, every check, every donation, every tithe will go into under one financial umbrella to support all of this piece of the work of ministry. Okay, that was me going at a pretty rapid pace. Your guidebooks have all of those details in there. Would you please read them throughout the week and take a look at that and be praying for that. So God doesn't want Alan Cullen clinging on to his communion money. He knows it wants to own me. He knows that he doesn't want stuff competing for my heart. He's unwilling to be in a race with stuff for my heart, but he wants my heart. He knows that stuff wants to master me, that, he wa that it wants to master you. So I'm going to do an illustration right here with this little ladder. And what I want to do is I want to describe, these are just little descriptions that I, I think would probably describe every single one of us here when it comes to generosity in our lives. And where are you at? So as I describe these, what I'd like you to do is to see, can you find yourself on this little ladder right here? I'll start right here, and this is simply known as an initial giver. I went to Eric during the week. He's a business manager, led worship right here. And uh, I said to him, hey, could you look up the records for the last 90 days? How many people in our church gave financially to the church for the very first time in the, ninth, in the last 90 days? And check it out. 60 people on the nose 
gave financially to our church for the very, very first time. Now, I actually think that's incredible. Please don't look down on this one just because it happens to be at the bottom end of the ladder. I actually think it's amazing, and I'll tell you why. Because the Spirit of God moved over their hearts, moving them to a place of generosity that they had not done before. Praise God for that. That's a wonderful thing. They could have kept that money. They could have spent that money. They could have saved that money. But they didn't. They said, God, this is for your kingdom. And we're, and we're happy to do that. And I love that. And I want to celebrate that today. Not only that, but they are, I think, encountering Christ in a way where they're saying, God, what do you want me to do with my stuff? And that's the question an initial giver is asking. What do you want me to do with my stuff? And then they're trusting God with that. And then not only that, they're trusting the church. So some people are like, hey, I'm going to get my bank account to talk to your bank account, and I'll do a direct deposit. Some people wrote a check. Some people put cash in an envelope and put their name and address on it. Here's what they're doing. They're saying, I trust you, God, with my finances, and I trust the leadership of this church. Here's my name and my address and my contact information, and here's my bank account. I think that's incredible. The question they're asking is, God, what do I do with my stuff? The second piece right here, a place of generosity, is an occasional giver. The question for this person is, is there any way in which the Holy Spirit would nudge you to this place? This is somebody who gives every now and again. So they come to church, and they're like, I'm happy to give. Oh, there's the bag. I'll put some money in there. There's $10. There's $50. No problem. I enjoy doing that. Probably not much of a plan to it. Probably not maybe a whole lot of prayer or thought maybe put behind something like that. But there's a sense of joy. Here's the distinction. They're asking a different question. The first person says, what do I do with my stuff? The second person is saying, what do I do with God's stuff? I'm happy to give, and they do that on occasion. The third step is an intentional giver. And again, for this person here, will the Holy Spirit nudge you to maybe think through your giving? We make all kinds of plans for our life, don't we? Plan for my career, plan to lose weight, plan to buy a house. Oftentimes we don't make plans about our finances or our giving or our generosity. Will the Holy Spirit nudge you to actually say, I'm going to put a plan together. I'm going to do this on purpose. I'm going to deliberately give to my Father in heaven. I actually want to do that. And here's the question that they're asking. What do I do with what God has given to me? And that's what Nehemiah is underscoring. That's what he recognizes. It's the king's money. It's the king's stuff. All that I actually have is because he's given it to me. So God, what do you want me to do with what you've given to me? If you're new to church, maybe this is a new word. If you've been around for a long, long time, perhaps you've heard of this. And it's the word tithe. And tithe is, is a, a, a word that we find in the Bible that describes this idea, this concept of saying, God, I want to give you 10% of what you've given to me. So Kelly and I, before we met, before we got married, we were both tithing. And then when we got married, we're like, hey, we're just going to keep on tithing. So here's what it looks like for us. We sit down at the beginning of the month, and we look at our family budget, money in, money out, the usual stuff. And the very first thing at the top of the page is our tithe to God. That is for us the beginning of a minimum of how we want to be generous in the kingdom of God. I don't say that in a bragging way. For Kelly and I, that's just, be kind of, it's just become a, a normal way for us to follow Jesus Christ. So for us, before we pay taxes to the government, we're taking 10% of our income. Before we pay our mortgage or the grocery bill or try to put shoes on our kids' shoes, on our feet, on their feet, we're like, no, we want to go God first. That's a non-negotiable for us. When you're an intentional giver, you're probably asking questions like, why am I giving more money to Comcast or to Ford or to Verizon than I am to my king? 
Those are the kinds of questions. And therefore, you're saying, I'm actually going to make a plan about how I want to be generous in my life. The next step is a surrender giver. Again, the question for this person is saying, okay, Holy Spirit, is there anything that you want me to do beyond this intentional plan? What would that look like for my life? The question that they're asking is another distinction. What does God want me to give from what he has provided for me in my life? Huge question and challenge when it comes to our generosity. I'll never forget an occasion where the Holy Spirit, I mean, he nudged me right here. Last week, I told a story about Kelly and I planting a church in my home country. Well, obviously, we don't live there anymore. So there came a day where we actually left Ireland and we came back to the United States. And so when we did that, the Holy Spirit came in and said, Hey, Alan, I have something I want you to surrender to me. And I was not very happy about it. For many years of my life, in fact, for more years of ministry than anything else, I've, I've actually been a worship leader, led worship in churches. And so over the years, I collected my gear. It was my gear. Did you hear that? It was my gear. So listen very carefully to the specifics of this. I bought, with my money, I had a Korg Triton Pro X 88 key with MIDI controller. That's a really nice piano. Korg Triton. Don't forget that. I had a Roland amp made for keyboards. Keyboards obviously have a very large expanse, bottom of the bass, treble on top. You need an amp that's going to manage that. It had inputs for all my microphones, my cables. I had my microphones, I had my stand, my boom stand, my music stand, and that was my stuff. I, and then I played the guitar. So I had my Takamini guitar, $800 guitar. I bought that, $800, eight. A lot of communion money right there. <laughs> nice guitar. I know you can spend a whole lot more on a guitar if you want to, but that was a lot of money for me. That's $800 guitar. It's my guitar. I like my guitar. And all my stuff fit in my little Toyota Corolla in Ireland, and we'd hit the road, and I'd lead worship, did, wrote some songs, did some really bad recordings, went to churches, led worship. That's what I did for years, years. Fit my Corolla, my Corolla, my, tri my cork Triton, my amp, weighed a ton, hard case, good case. I bought the good case. My Takamini guitar, my chords. My... See where this is going? Hey, Alan. Yeah? Want to surrender it? No? <laughs> yeah. I want you to surrender that to me. It's my stuff, God. It's my stuff for giving you glory. I sing to you with this stuff. I make the music, right? I got to do that or you're not going to get the songs. I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> yep. I know. I want you to surrender. Yeah. I bought that. I bought that piano with my money. That's my piano. That's my guitar. That's my amp. If it's in my Toyota Corolla, it all fits in there nicely. I can travel with it. That's my stuff. My money. Yep, that's why I want you to surrender to me. So I threw my tantrum. And I whined and I kicked and I screamed. And then I let it go. This, this, is, how I, this is how we come out of the womb, right? And I came to that moment where I was like, okay. And I didn't tell anyone. The church was just finding its feet, so I just left it in the church building. Never said a word. Done. And I was amazed. I was kind of blown away. As soon as I did it. Oh, I mean, it was joyful for me. I was blown away. I, was, I didn't expect to feel that way about giving away what I didn't want to give away. A few months passed by, and we made it over to America. And I eventually landed in a ministry position in Lansing where Wally and I worked together for many years. And I was Mr. Worship Leader in that church. And I came in there on my first day. It was a large facility. And I met this young lady. 
She said, do you know where your office is? I said, no, I don't even know where my office is. So she walked me to my office. And I kid you not, I walked through the door, she opened up my office, and I walked in. Corp driver. Roland Amp. My microphones. My cable. My boom stand. My music stand. The only thing that was different is it wasn't a Takamini guitar worth $800. It was a Collings guitar, which is worth somewhere between two and a half to $3,000. And she didn't know what she was saying. She looked at me, and I said, oh, look at all this stuff. And she's like, yep. And she walked out the door. She said, that's for you. And she closed the door. Oh, God, I won't believe that you just did this in my life, and I couldn't give it away. <laughs> I call you to surrender, and watch Watch. You want, you want to give to me? You can't have give me. I'm your father. The Holy Spirit would nudge us to places of generosity in our lives. Last one. Last one is a lifetime um, giver right here. I mean, this is a person who's really looking towards the big picture and towards the future. This is a last question is extremely powerful. Instead of asking the question, what do you want me to give from what you've provided? No, God, what do you want me to keep from what you've provided. Oh my goodness. That's a whole other level entirely. God, you've given me this much. I think I only need this much. So I'm just going to give the rest away. For your glory and for your honor. I'm going to trust you because I don't need to stockpile what I don't actually need and cannot use. Listen to St. Augustine. He puts it like this. Find out how much God has given you. Take from it what you need. The remainder is needed by others. Check out the story on the side screens. I'm Josh, and this is my wife, Liz Later, and we've been attending community church for about 10 years. And as far as how long we've been together? We've been married just over 21 years. And together, 27 total. So uh, generosity in my family growing up was something that I learned just by how my parents lived. Um, as a matter of fact, when I was young in middle school, they wanted us to learn how to keep a family budget. And the point was to learn how to deal with money on an economic side of things. But as I looked at their budget, I noticed that there was the tithe, and then there was a part that said extra, and it was above and beyond tithe. And I remember asking my parents, what is extra? And dad explained to me, he said, tithe is us recognizing that God has blessed us and it's all his, and we give a portion back to his. But your mom and I have felt God tell us, we need to set another portion aside so that when God just says, hey, there's a need, meet that need, we have the money and we just meet the need with that. So then when we got married, uh, one of the pastors that married us was our college pastor from our church. And after the ceremony, he said, wow, isn't this so cool that all those years, you know, your mom and dad, you know, investing in Liz and, and now, you're, now you're married. And we both gave him a blank stare. And he said, you don't know, do you? Well, what I didn't know is that one of the things my parents did with that extra that they called, uh, Every fall, when there was a retreat for the high school or college youth group, every leadership conference, every discipleship conference, they would take a portion of that extra and go to the youth pastor or the college pastor and say, if you have a kid who's serious about learning to follow Christ that isn't going to be able to go, don't tell them who gave it, and we don't want to know. Just meet that need. And unbeknownst to us, I found out on our wedding day that all the time we dated in high school and college, when my mom and dad did that, that money was sending my future wife to college retreats and discipleship weekends. And, and it just, it hit me really hard that their obedience impacted not just me learning, 
but it impacted my future wife. So for me, high school and college, I struggled. My family struggled financially and it was, you know, God always showed up and, and provided all those needs. And here I wanted to go on those trips and I was given the opportunity to go and those trips just really stretched and grew my faith. And then to find out Josh's parents, now my parents, they blessed me way back then. God used them in my life. And um, it was just so amazing for me that I wanted to um, carry that over into my family with my kids. Everything God gives us, including every breath we have and every dollar we have, it's his. And it's given to us so that he can use it, not, not to our credit, but to his. And so to see that generosity is more than a financial thing, it's an understanding that everything we have is God's and it's his to begin with. It's not, this is my 90%, this is his 10%, it's all his and we're nothing without him. So why not give it to him? I guess my advice if somebody's just starting to tithe is don't get caught up on a percentage, don't get caught up on a number, go to God and say, look God, this is new to me, what do you want me to do? Because what's, what's obeying for you and your giving and what's obeying for me, he may call us to do different things. But if it's new to you and it's a crazy idea, what I tell people is just trust him, he'll meet you there. Yes, yeah, just that act of obedience, just stepping out in faith and being obedient and then letting God do the rest. Amen. Can we give thanks to God for that story? I mean, that's fairly unbelievable, right? The money their parents were investing to an unknown child who would need was be their spiritual investment in their future daughter-in-law, their son's wife. That's just incredible. Guys, the next 24 months of ministry, and then you got this number, $7 million. I got to tell you, I hope this doesn't sound uh, careless on my, on my part. I don't give a rip about $7 million. That's just an insane number in my brain. Here's what I want for every person here. I want every person here to have an encounter with Jesus Christ when it comes to generosity in their lives. And God will take care of the rest. That's all it is. And so I want, I just, and that's where last week we talked about, would you make a commitment to making a commitment to just saying, God, I want to come before you seriously. I want to pray and say, God, where, do you, where am I right now? And what is it that you want to do in my life? What does that look like? Because I just want to be obedient to you. David, he puts it like this in the Old Testament. He says, wealth and honor come from you. You're the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, O oh God, our God, we give you our thanks and praise your glorious name. Who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. He gets the same thing that Nehemiah gets. Everything comes from God. Everything belongs to God. Everything is distributed from God as he sees fit. It's the king's stuff. It's all belonging to him. The story for Nehemiah now comes to the beginning, I think, of where things are really going to uh, rubber meets the road. Because he finally gets to Jerusalem with all of the resources. God has given him everything he's provided. And it's go time. He's off the couch. He's not okay with what's not okay. And he's ready to do something about it. God is blessing his obedience. And this is what he says. Then I said to them, do you see the trouble we're in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins. He's in Jerusalem. And its gates are burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. 
And I told him of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words of the king that he'd spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Next week, it's unbelievable. They literally are going to start rebuilding. And the second that they do, the enemy comes in. And I'm not joking, he starts throwing the kitchen sink at Nehemiah and everybody who's working. And so, fair warning, guys, as you come before the Holy Spirit and say, look, I'm not okay with people in Alma who need to hear about Jesus Christ. I'm not okay with uh, addiction in this area right now. As you're not okay with those things, and you say, let's do something about it, and then you begin to pray, and then you begin to say, God, where am I in terms of my generosity to support this? Watch the enemy come and throw the kitchen sick at you. So that's going to be fun this week, right? Okay, last two items, and we'll wrap it up. If you would take one of these out from the chair that is directly in front of you, it's in the pouch right there. This is a little commitment card. I don't want you to fill it out. We're going to explain this in more detail next week. If everyone would just go ahead and grab one, please. And I want you to just bring it home with you and just stick it in your Bible. If you pray about this, I think the front seat might have them in the, in the row underneath, or right underneath your chair if you want to grab one. And I want you just to be praying about this. We'll explain it more next week, but just tuck it in your Bible. And we're going to use this basically as a tool or a mechanism for the entire church to ask and answer the question, God, where would you like me to be in terms of my own generosity? The last thing that I want to mention is to you is that we've already had a number of people approach the church and they're eager little beavers, every single one of them, who've just come up and said, we're so excited, this is amazing, can we make a financial contribution? We want to already make a commitment to this, how can we be about doing that? And so here's what we've actually done. We've actually booked out the Broadway Theater in downtown Mount Pleasant this Friday. At 7 o'clock, that's November the 8th, I think. Yes, it is. It's November the 8th, this Friday. And so we've got a gang of people who are already like, we're already gung-ho. We're not waiting for anything else. We're actually going to meet there in the Broadway theater, and we're going to have some people who are going to make some advanced commitments, and we're going to be praying about that together. We're going to come and worship together. Anyone is welcome to join us. If you're not able to join us, we'll continue to travel through this over the next few weeks. Please Continue to make a commitment to making a commitment, and that is to be in prayer and to take this seriously before the Lord. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for chapter 2 of Nehemiah and for all that you provided for your glory and to do the work that you had called them to. And Lord, thank you for the scripture at the very end that said, so you strengthened their hand for the good work. And I pray, God, that you would strengthen our hands for a good work in this, play, in this place. Father, I pray that you would speak to every person here no matter where they're at on this ladder or on this journey of generosity, that you would lead us and you would prod our hearts, that this would simply be the case where we just take one step towards generosity, Lord, that you would have us to take. I pray, Lord, that money would never master any follower of Christ. I pray that we would never be owned by stuff. I pray that the battle of our hearts would be won by our Heavenly Father as we submit to you today. And I pray that, Lord, in this holy moment, that you would please challenge every man and every woman, whether they have a little or whether they have a lot, that you would simply cause us to move towards generosity to you because you have been so generous to us. Thank you for all that we have. We recognize that it comes from your hand, that every blessing that we have in our lives is from you. And we thank you, God, for our, our very next breath. Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus. And the whole church together said... Amen. Amen. God bless. See you next week.